Greg Ballantyne is known by his clients as the world's most disciplined man. However, he was born lazy and introverted and also suffered crippling anxiety attacks. In 2006, I had two crippling anxiety attacks, really, really bad. I went to the emergency room twice. They were both related to binge drinking and having introverted tendencies, keeping all the thoughts inside my head and not externally processing. He built his turbulence training fitness business to over 151,000 customers and 15 million YouTube views. One of the best themes I've ever come up for one of my years is to be the best at less rather than mediocre at more and owns earlytorise.com. His first book, The Perfect Day Formula, has helped over 50,000 high performers own the day and take back control of their lives. Because he was an alcoholic, you never knew which guy you were gonna go home from school to. Was it going to be funny guy? Was it gonna be wild and crazy? In Canada, we have a lot of snow, so we have these things called snowmobiles, which are like quad runners and motorcycles, but they're on snow. And so, you know, some days we would go and he would drive insane and then like almost kill us both. Today, Craig coaches entrepreneurs to make more money and work less using the techniques in his Wall Street Journal bestseller, Unstoppable, and his new book, The Perfect Week Formula. If you could go back in time and tell your 18-year-old self or 21-year-old self and give them advice, what would you do? And I would say that... Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. Break. absolute honor to have you here in this podcast. Thank you for yeah. making the time and um, sitting down here with me for a period of time to share some of your experiences with. And I, I know you are known to many people as as a a man who helps CEOs absolutely thrive in the business, create huge success in their life without having to completely annihilate themselves in the process. Yeah. And I also know you from um, the man who has created the perfect day formula. Mm-hmm. And my first question to you is, when was there a time in your life where you're days in your life was just not nowhere near perfect and how did you begin to change things from that point forward yeah that's a great question and so in 2006 i had two crippling anxiety attacks really really bad you know i went to the emergency room twice they were both related to binge drinking and having introverted tendencies keeping you know all the thoughts inside my head and not externally processing them you know not speaking to speaking about problems to friends or to girlfriends or to family or, you know, experts or anything like that. You know, I didn't do journaling. I didn't do anything that, you know, got the junk out of my head, I like to say. And so my anxiety engine revved, my wheels were spinning, my mind was racing. And so 2006 was a tough year for me in that respect, but it was also this paradoxical year where it was the, you know, I was making the most money. I was in the best shape, strongest I'd ever been. And I was able to, at that time, fully transition from being a personal trainer and online business owner to be having a fully online business, which 
meant I could stop going to the gym and at six o'clock in the morning and train people and that sort of stuff. And it gave me this sense of freedom, but that unfortunately there was too much freedom and I was working all the time. And so in 2007, I remember this exact day. I don't remember the date of it, but I remember waking up at 7.30 in the morning, which is still early to a, a lot of people. But for me, I'm the type of person who likes to do 999 things before noon and in the afternoon I don't really I don't really enjoy afternoons. And so I want to do everything that I possibly could before lunchtime. And so at 7:30 in the morning, you know, you're already lost like a few good hours and I remember waking up and I had anxiety and I remember I woke up and I turned over in bed and I I had a Blackberry at the time and I started looking at emails on my Blackberry and I remember that I that feeling made me think, this is not how you want things to be. So tomorrow, I'm going to get up five minutes earlier, and I'm going to wait five minutes longer until I check my email on my phone. Because you know you can have 30 good emails in there, but you, know, you have one person who wants a refund, or they can't download your program or something like that. Something silly. I couldn't totally throw off what did totally throw off my morning. So, you know, that's a million, you know, one of the million reasons we shouldn't be on social media or email too quickly. So I did that for seven days. I got up, you know, so if I was getting up at 7.30, I got up at 7.25 for the next seven days and I didn't check my email until 7.35. And I know that seems ridiculous. Like, what are you going to do in those 10 minutes? But you can get a victory in there. You can think, you can kind of collect yourself. You can actually have an idea that will lead to something substantial instead of being reactive. And then the week after that, I did another five minutes on both sides. So now it's 7.20 and I didn't check my email until 7.40. And then the week after that, I went to 7.15, 7.45. And now you're getting into significant time. And and eventually I got to the point where I was getting up at 5.30 in the morning. And I got up at that time for a long, long time. You know, got up at 5.30 in the morning because I'm an early bird. I like the morning. And I wasn't checking my email until nine o'clock in the morning which meant I could write, I could create programs, I could do all of these things, which really skyrocketed my success. And so 2006 and 2007, probably the two of the most pivotal years of um, my career and allowed me to really become free by having more of that structure and discipline and systems in place, which you know I learned a lot more over the next several years before I wrote the book, but that was probably one of the most important things right there. Yeah, I think the most important thing that you've highlighted there or or your approach to it is actually making those changes in in small shifts or just minor adjustments over a period of time. So it's it's five minutes here, it's 10 minutes there. It's You, you didn't go from waking at 7.30 in the morning to then waking at 5.30 in the morning the next morning, which could be yeah. a lot, lot uh, very overwhelming. I think that's a mistake. Well, but that's the equivalent, make. Gavin, of of taking somebody who's been eating pizza and soda and crisps and you know fish and chips and all this sort of stuff for his entire life and then saying okay well tomorrow it's just going to be chicken and broccoli like that is not going to work you know one out of a million people might be able to stick with it but for most people they're going to self destruct on that and I don't like the idea of the 5 a.m. club for the majority of people especially somebody who's getting up at 7:30 in the morning right now you can't just go and, and shave two and a half hours off of your sleep time. Because first of all, you're not going to fall asleep easy two and a half hours earlier tonight if you want to get up two and a half hours earlier tomorrow. We've all felt that when we had to catch an early flight or whatever. And we've all had days where we wake up way earlier than we thought. Maybe we get out of bed and you're like, wow, I get so much done. But then you just crash. You get what's called social jet lag 
two nights later and all of a sudden you think oh that getting up early in the morning stuff is stupid well it's not stupid your approach to doing it was stupid and so it's that extreme measures no don't go extreme measures at first but you chip away at it and you stack wins and you get you know kind of like one percent better every day and soon you really really compound those into big victories so what are some of the ingredients in this formula to create that perfect day give us a bit of an insight well, I think one of the most important things that anybody can add to their success journey, no matter if they're trying to lose weight, if they're trying to become better at you know public speaking, if they're trying to improve their relationship, if they're trying to have better workouts, is in my book, I talk about better planning and preparation than ever before. And if you take a look at anybody who's lost weight, you know, most of the times they didn't lose weight successfully on their first try, right? They they tried, they failed. They tried, they failed. And the first time they tried, they were like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to try and eat better and I'm going to, you know, try and go to the gym. Well, that's not a plan. And no, and you know, hardly anybody's going to stick to that. So, so they get knocked on their butt and they come back and go, okay, this time, you know what, I'm going to buy that protein powder and I'm going to at least get a workout program from a magazine. And, you know, they kind of get a little bit further ahead, but then they fall in their butt again. They go back to the drawing board and eventually they get to the point, maybe on the third time, maybe on the 10th time where they're like, I'm going to hire a meal prep company. I am going to only have one cheat meal per week. I am going to have alternatives. So when I go to the gas station or, you know, to the fast food outlet, I know some alternatives that are not going to destroy my results. You know, I can still go out with the the boys and the mates and, and have one pint, but I'm not going to have 10. And, you know, I'm just going to have these systems in place that prevent me from destroying and sabotaging my results. And then in the workout side, I'm going to hire a trainer this time. And even if it's just one time per week and I go on my own two or three or four other times per week, at least I know I have to go back and have that one great session. And maybe they tell me exactly what to do on the other days. And that's just better planning and preparation than they ever did before. And I'm sure that everybody listening has been a best man at a wedding once. Okay, maybe you had a best man at a wedding like two or three times. And which one did you do the best? The one where you actually prepared the speech. You know, I've gone to weddings and you just watch the person up there. Like, did you even put any thought into this speech? Like, you're at a wedding and you're bringing up, you know, story, you know, ridiculous drinking stories of some guy and embarrassing him in front of his future family. Like, did you even think about this, this speech and what it was meant to be? No, but then you see like a, a best man give an amazing speech and you're like, this person put thought and preparation into their speech and had the right humor and had the right touching moments. That's how you do it. And so on and so forth. And um, it doesn't matter what sport anybody's into. The teams that win aren't just talent alone and aren't just culture alone, but are teams that are talent, culture, and planning and preparation. And that's really what success comes down to. So I'm, I spend so much time on that, Gavin, because if you don't have that in place, it doesn't matter how hard you're willing to work. It doesn't matter, you know, even who you surround yourself, you can surround yourself with good people that go to the gym. But if you guys have a dumbass plan, you go in there and you're bench pressing three days per week and it ruin your shoulders and you're not going to be in the gym for forever. So you have to have that planning and preparation in place. It is the cornerstone of success in life. But when you have that, uh, you know, you plan your days and you plan your days the night before, that's when you're really going to be able to get ahead in life. Mm -hmm. Do you need to, like your process of this, establish the end point or at least the benchmark you want to reach 
and then reverse engineer it then into terms of what you need to structure on your daily basis in order to achieve that or oh, totally. what's, your, what, totally. what's, what's your process there? I have entire one day workshops where we start at the 30,000 foot level and we talk about, you know, your 10 year values. Like, what are you going to, what do you value today that you're going to value in 10 years for your family, your health, your wealth, and your personal enrichment? It was like charity work and, and stuff like that. So I, you know, I asked, I'd ask a man, I'd say, all right, listen, in, in 10 years from now, what do you want your health to look like? In, in 10 years from now, what do you want your family to look like? In 10 years from now, what wealth level do you want to achieve? Whether it's salary, whether it's investments, wh whatever it is, give me a good picture. Okay, so now I, now as your coach, I can see where we're going. Next thing we do is we go to a three to five year vision where you write the movie script for your life. You're going to tell me where you are, who you're with, what you're celebrating, what three major accomplishments you've had in your life, and what you and your family do on a regular basis. Tell me that so that I can, as you tell me, I'm going to sit there, I'm going to watch the movie of your life. So write the movie script of your life. Now we've narrowed it down because, you know, 10 year, we want to do a lot of things in three to five years. We get a little bit more specific. Now from there, what we do is we go to a one year blueprint. So in a year from now, where are we going to be? What are we going to be celebrating? What are the three accomplishments that are going to happen in your career and one of them in your personal life? And what are going to be the changes that you've made to your health, to your relationships? What's going to be your theme for the next year? What's going to be your theme for the next year? And, you know, I, I, when I do this with my clients, I'll, I'll go through it and I'll share my answers. And one of the best themes I've ever come up for one of my years is to be the best at less rather than mediocre at more. So, you know, in my entrepreneur space, I could be on TikTok and Rumble and uh, YouTube and Instagram and Twitter. Like that's a lot of things I could be on and I could do a half-hearted effort at all of those, or I could be amazing at one of them. And, you know, in our business, we're generally really, really good at Instagram and, and we use the other platforms, but we don't major in those ones. We major in one. So we're the best at less rather than mediocre at more. And that was a theme for my year. So now you've given me your one year blueprint. I know exactly what we what we need to do to stay on the straight line for success. And then we build out a 90 day plan. So 90 day, we have your outcome goal. What do you want to achieve in 90 days? If you, if this is, if we're talking about fitness and you tell me you want to lose two stone in 90 days, great, perfect. Awesome. Now you don't fully control that, but what are the three most important action steps that you control? Those go underneath that. Well, it's going, you know, to this gym three days per week. It's, you know, hiking for an hour on the weekend. And then it is, you know, eating paleo nutrition plan or this nutrition plan or intermittent fasting, you know, every other day with one cheat meal per week. Okay, great. You know, you're in control of those action steps. You're not in control of the two stone loss, but you're in control of the action steps. And if you follow those, you get as close as possible to that outcome goal as possible. And then what we do is we go, okay, you just wrote that plan down. What can you do immediately right now? Because we want to give people fast victories. If you give somebody a fast victory, they get a positive dopamine hit, much like we get a dopamine hit when we check our phones. But this is a positive dopamine hit, not a negative dopamine hit like getting effect, uh, addicted to your phone. So what can you do right now to move this plan along? Oh, well, I can order the meal prep company right now. I can just go online. I can order the meal prep. Great. Meal prep's ordered for the next 30 days. Awesome. Or maybe the next 90 days, right? Done. You've got a victory, right? And you've got that victory and you're moving ahead. Now we go 24 hours. What are you going to do tomorrow on this plan? Well, 
I'm going to go uh, and have my first training session tomorrow. All right. What are you going to do in 48 hours? Well, in 48 hours from now, I'm going to go on that one hour hike. Great. What are you going to do in 72 hours? And we just plan this out. Uh, we go 40, 48 hours, 72 hours, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, 28 days. And we have that fast start plan that goes and leads into the full 90 day plan. And then we build out, okay, what does your day have to look like in order for you to achieve all these things? And we build somebody their perfect day. And that's it. Well, that's not all of it, but that's most of it. You know, we have to overcome like what are the obstacles that are going to be in the way there? What accountability do you need? Who do you need to have in your corner on this? But when you have those things in place, like the amount of clarity that I've just taken out of somebody's head where they have these kind of grand plans and and some big visions, but they haven't really made them concrete. Now the the path to success, it's like, it's like, you know, like when you watch those pirate movies when you're a kid, you know, they get the treasure map and you know the dotted line. Well, this is it. You know, here's your treasure, here's your pot of gold, here's the dotted line to get there. All you have to do is follow those dotted lines and, and you're gonna win in the game of life. And so we we focus so much on that clarity, which is I'm glad why you brought that up. But in order to achieve that clarity, it's all comes down to the plan and, and achieve those goals that you want on that clarity plan. It comes down to the planning and preparation. Brilliant. What have been some of the obstacles in your own personal life that have gotten away and how did you begin to navigate those? Or did you have a coach or a mentor, like you're a coach and a mentor to someone today that helped yeah. you along? Or was there other factors there that that um, accelerated your progress or at least helped you to navigate it? Yeah. Well, there's, so there's two ways to answer that question. The first is that adding a coach or a mentor into your life is is essential. And I'll use the analogy of a marathon, right? So everybody knows a marathon. Maybe they've ran one. Maybe they have friends or family that's run a marathon, right? It's, it's every, something everybody knows. Now, if you go and run a marathon without a coach, you're not going to do very well. You probably won't even get to the marathon without having a major injury because you did too much at the start and maybe you didn't do enough, all sorts of stuff you, you, because you don't know anything. You're like, you're just a guy who runs and like, how do you know how to train for a marathon? So you have to get a coach or a mentor in there. And I have had dozens along the way and I'll get, I'll get to the specifics on that in a second. But the other thing about a marathon is that many people think that in order to run a great marathon, I need the best shoes and I need the best gear and I need the best supplements and I need the best hydration and I need the best gel capsules and all this sort of stuff. You know, I need a banana at mile 8, 19, 14.7 and 23. And if I don't have a banana at those things, I'm going to, you know, hit the wall. So everybody thinks it's like adding new things in there. But imagine Gavin and I were at the start of the race and everything else being equal, we were both three-hour marathon runners, right? And someone came over to me and said, Craig, I have the world's best shoes. These are used by the marathon runners who are like two and two hours and four minutes. So the fastest people in the world, they use these shoes. Here you go. Great. And then somebody else came over to Gavin and said, Gavin, I'm going to give you this backpack. And inside this backpack is a 50-pound kettlebell. And you're going to run the marathon with this 50-pound kettlebell on your back. Which one of us would have a more significant impact from the gift that we received prior to the marathon? Obviously, I might shave a few seconds off my marathon time, but for you, it's going to completely destroy you. And why do I tell you this silly analogy? It's because that the removal of things from your life is one of the most important ways to become successful because the negative 
people, the negative environments, the negative habits, you know, the toxicity that is out there that is available to everybody can destroy somebody's life faster than adding more stuff into your life can improve it. And, you know, one uh, strange thing is that one of my favorite sports that I used to pay the most attention to when I was a kid was English soccer for some reason, even though I was born in Canada and I'm a hockey player, but I really liked English soccer. And for anybody that's close to my age, you know, late 40s, even if you're early 40s, you probably know Paul Gascoigne's name. Paul Gascoigne destroyed his career because of alcohol, right? He, you know, was one of the best players in the world, not just for England, but because he drank himself. To, did he? I don't know. He, he might even have died. I don't even know. No, but he drank he's, himself. He's still alive. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, essentially, he's drank himself to death, right? And it's because he didn't remove the people, the environment, and the toxicity of alcohol from his life. And so you can destroy, you know, nothing, you know, new shoes wouldn't have made him any better. You know, a new kit wouldn't have solved the problem. It's, it's the negatives. So for me, uh, back to your original question, in 2006, again, that pivotal year, that was the year that I quit binge drinking and I hired my first business coach, my first mentor. And to go a few steps back in our interview, the very first question on the very first call that I had with my first coach, Tom, was he asked me, what do you want your business to look like in five years from now? And I had at the same time been reading about the power of creating a vision and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, Tom asked me that question and I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted to move out of the fitness industry and I wanted to move into the personal development and business coaching world. And I said, I want to have a business like this website that I've been reading. It's called earlytorise.com and it sells wealth building information, real estate investing information. It helps you get smarter and healthier and wealthier. And Tom said, I know of that website because at the time everyone knew of it. It was one of the first personal development websites out there, had a huge following. And he said, but you know what? You're not ready for that. Um, you need to become a better speaker, a better writer, a better coach, a better networker. You need to improve all these skills. But he gave me the path, right? He gave me the clarity of what I needed to do. And so for the next five years, I worked on all of those things. In 2007, I joined a large mastermind group of internet businesses and for the next several years after that, I was spending a, a significant amount of money, but you know, it was, it was business expense, so it was fair. And I was joining groups, I was uh, traveling to events, and I was meeting people. And I have introverted tendencies. I don't like to label myself as an introvert, but I do not enjoy meeting new people and um, you know having conversations with strangers and small talk that you know everybody's experienced at seminars when you don't know anybody else there it's not my forte that's for sure but i went and i put myself in those uncomfortable positions and i met those people and you know some of them are still my friends to this day over 15 years later i still you know might message them from time to time or you know send a thank you email to somebody that helped me out in fact one of my friends that i met in 2007 is is a is a is an irishman who now lives in england but he's a very dear friend of mine and you know we spent you know, a week, we together every summer, you know, hiking somewhere in, um, in Europe. And uh, just because of the friendship that I made through the business groups, but I kept on hiring the mentors and, you know, I've had mentors in every area of my life. And even today, you know, I took up jujitsu this year, uh, last year at age 47, which is not a good idea is not a old man sport. That's for sure. But I took it up. And so, you know, obviously I have an instructor and I have peers and the 
in the class that are much better than me. And, you know, they mentor me. So I'm always getting mentored. I, I look to be, um, you know, I look to be the dumbest person in the room uh, in most cases. And people may have heard the phrase, hey, you got to stay humble. I think you need to stay dumble, which is a combination of stay dumb and stay humble. Be the dumbest person in the room and be the humblest person in the room and surround yourself with people who know more than you uh, about the things that you need to learn. And if you surround yourself with really smart people, really good people, man, they'll just lift you up in life. So that's my answer. <laughs> Sweet. Yes, I get it, man. What's been your greatest failure? Mm. Man, I've had a lot of business failures. I have um, wasted a lot of money on things that I didn't properly research. I didn't do market research on them. Um, I was uh, sold pie in the sky a couple times. They weren't devastating to me, but they were kind of embarrassing. Um, they were painful lessons, much more expensive than my university education, which was fairly helpful to me. So those have been some of my uh, biggest failures. Um, I'm trying to think. It's a, it's a good question that I don't think anybody's asked me, and I don't feel that's a good enough answer. I would say that I probably, I, you know, now that I'm a father and I see. Um, how hard my wife worked in labor, but also, you know, how hard it is to, to be a parent in general. I just, I just think that I was not grateful enough to my parents, um, as you know, most children never are, but man, um, fortunately my mom is still alive. So we're able to see her a lot. Uh, you know, my father isn't, um, but I did spend a lot of time with him before he passed away. And so I would say it's almost like being grateful to my parents might be my, one of my biggest regrets in life. So if your dad was around, what would you say to him? Um, well, I, I just wish he was around. I, 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 there's nothing particular that I want to say to him. Um, you know, thanks for the lessons. I suppose he he wasn't necessarily the the you know storybook father. I guess you would say. He, I love the guy, but he he was an alcoholic, and that destroyed him as well. Um, and so he wasn't a model of fatherhood. But he showed me how to work hard. He um, showed me the importance of showing up every day. He was a farmer, so he had to show up every day. But uh, you know, I would just, I would just like to, to uh, you know, take him for a drive as we as we did when he was sick and uh, before he passed away. We would just drive around the countryside in Canada, looking at other farms. So you know, I just like a couple hours uh, with him to do that and talk about whatever. Are there are there some things that you've taken from him that you now apply into your own fatherhood? Uh, uh, into fatherhood, um, well, into personal habits. I mean, my my dad got up early and you know had to go and feed the cows first thing in the morning. And so my morning routine course, you know, our entire sales page is about how I've learned my morning routine from a drunk farmer. And uh, <laughs> and you know he showed up. He, he had to work every single day, and it doesn't matter how much he drank the day before. He had to show up every single day, and he got the work done early in the day. And most people need to show up every day and get the hard work done early because then you can have a nap in the afternoon as he often did and or you can do something uh, else with your life of course but in terms of fatherhood i think um the consistency that i didn't necessarily um like he he learned he, he well actually let me say this he he took me out of school a lot and we went and did a lot of farm things so we would go and buy and sell cattle and you know i would work on the farm and Honestly, some of the best lessons I learned were outside of school that way. So I think, you know, we're going to homeschool our kids 
for many reasons, but one of them is just understanding that, you know, you don't have to be in a school uh, room to, to learn good lessons. Um, the other thing is consistency. He was always there. I knew where he was going to be almost all the time. Um, on the flip side, uh, because he was an alcoholic, you never knew which guy you were going to go home from school to. Was it going to be funny guy? Was it going to be wild and crazy? Um, in Canada, we have a lot of snow. So we have these things called snowmobiles, which are like quad runners, motorcycles, but they're on snow. And so, you know, some days we would go and and he would drive insane and then like almost kill us both. But, you know, it might be that guy that's waiting for you. Or it might be upset guy who's like going to, you know, get upset just because, you know, he tell me to do some chore and I might not do it up to his standard. And he might say, you know, yell at me. You know, fortunately, he wasn't physically abusive, but he was, you know, he yelled at me a lot. So I didn't know who was going to be there. And I think that the, um, you know, that's kind of like a double-edged lesson. It's like I valued the consistency of knowing where he was going to be at seven o'clock at night. I knew that dad is always going to be home. He's going to be watching television. I can go and hang out with them. We're not going to talk or anything, but we'll watch TV and we'll have some snacks. And that, you know, that was a good time. But the inconsistency of who is going to be there is something that I will never do for my family. It's like be consistent. Um be available. And there's a lot of things that I plan on doing differently than him. But, you know, that uh, emotional dysfunction that he had is not something that I will have. So again, it goes back to well, you and what um, I use in that marathon analogy. Is it the addition of anything magical? Not much, but it's the removal of the things that can destroy you that, you know, he taught me what not to do as much as he what he taught me to do. And again, I love the guy. He just unfortunately was cursed. Um, you know, his family, you know, his brother was uh, an alcoholic. His father had issues. So, you know, I'm just grateful that I don't, I mean, I'm, I hope I don't, um, <laughs> aside from the anxiety, but I just, uh, I just think that poor, you know, he's a poor guy he, and um, he wasn't able to to win it at that aspect of life. And, you know, it ended up destroying him. Like that's, you know, the main reason that he passed away at 69. Was that a big driver for you when you started into this entrepreneurship or into, into business was maybe the, the pain of the past fueling your, your, your future? Um, not or, really. Or was, was, it, more... was it nearly like distraction or, or, uh, an escapism you know you know for some people for some people like their relationship with their father seems to be like a real driver of things and for me it wasn't like um he never knew what i did he didn't really care like he was proud that i went to college and he you know he never really asked and i wasn't offended by the fact that he didn't care because i was just really into what i was doing I was more unemployable from the side that I like to do things my way and I wanted to design a life that allowed me to work when I wanted to work because I, I do work a lot, but I don't work regular hours. So I work a lot early in the morning. And then, you know, if somebody looked at my day and what I was doing, they'd be like, well, do you even have a job? Like my, my wife's father has no, idea. like he can't understand what we do. And he just, He's like, I'm, I'm sure he probably wonders if, you know, we do anything illegal to, to live our lives because he can't understand it because he's in real estate and real world. And, you know, it's kind of the internet uh, wasn't around for him. So 
I just want to live my life on my terms. And that's what drove me into entrepreneurship because I just wasn't cut out to be an, an employee. So, um, it, uh, you know, he did some things unconventionally as a farmer, which, you know, I may see like I do things unconventionally, but you know, my relationship with my dad was not, you know, it wasn't either good nor bad in terms of uh, what I ended up doing today. Mm. That at least in the I know, maybe some psychologists out there is going, no, 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 yeah. let me unpack this. And, <laughs> you know, they can, they can find a connection, but. Um, they call you up afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, but now my my parents, my mother still has no idea what what we do, uh, even though she has copies of all my books and stuff like that. But she she doesn't get it, and even with her, like you know, she she encouraged me to study, but I'm naturally like a bookworm, yeah. so I would have done well in school regardless. And they probably, you know, my mom wanted me to be an accountant, get a real job because, you know, I went to school for kinesiology or exercise science or whatever people call it these days. And, you know, she worked in a factory as a receptionist and she saw somebody's resume who is now going to work in the factory and he had the same degree as I did. And she got really worried because um, I was like in my last year of school and she's like, what are you going to do? Like, just why can't you just get a job as an accountant? And other than that, there wasn't really much discussion about my career choice with my parents. It was just, yeah, it was just you, not, you, a, not an issue much. You were you were very extreme with the approach though, weren't you? I mean, it's like you really wanted this no matter what, no matter if like all the anxieties and all the panic attacks and everything else. I mean, you went all in on this as if you're trying to maybe prove it to somebody or prove it to yourself or... I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, maybe I just want to prove it in general that I don't have to, I, I just don't want to operate by the world's rules, right? Like I don't want to operate by nine to five. I don't want to operate by a commute. I don't want to operate by being stuck in a certain place. I just want freedom. I want my freedom to do what I want with who I want, when I want, where I want. And that's been the number one driver for me. And I don't know why that's the number one driver for me. Because um, there's not a, a incident to me. It's not, it's not like I grew up in a horrible place. I grew up in a place where I would, you know, I'd be happy living there um, if I was forced to. Uh, not that I'm going to be forced to, but you know, it's a great part of the world. You know, great four seasons and um, you know, great Christmas time and great summertime and all that sort of stuff. An amazing spring and amazing fall. So it wasn't like I, I was driven to get out of somewhere. I'm just driven to, I just don't like being told what to do. And maybe, yeah. my, you know, because, well, parents, all parents tell their kids what to do. Maybe I just didn't like that when I was a kid. And uh, now I I don't really have to be, do what people tell me to do. So I don't know, psychologist, so, Gavin, so, you're, so, you're, so, you're getting, so, so, you're getting so, to it maybe. <laughs> Sounds like you're thinking out loud there, man. I'm giving you some things to yeah. journal about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I think it's very interesting. Just um, the 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 drive you had, and just trying to understand the source of that, because everyone out there has a drive. Everyone out there is driven by by something. And as much as myself, uh, I went down that extreme approach of headed towards burnout ultimately, until I reached mm -hmm. out to a mentor and he saved me. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we we certainly went off on a tangent there. Um, but on the flip side of that, what has been your greatest success? 
Well, I would say my greatest success is, um, you know, I married late in life and had kids late in life. And, you know, that's the, that's the most important thing to me. So freedom and family are the most important things to me and being able to have a family that, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted like that, um, cause I didn't have a storybook family. I wanted a storybook family and, you know, my mother is a saint and absolutely amazing. Um, my dad, my dad had potential, but ultimately, you know, destroyed by his demons. And so it wasn't normal. And I, I remember when I was 11 years old, I saw um, my friend's parents hold hands and my, like my head could have exploded. Like I, that's not what parents do. They, that they like each other. They hold hands like they're teenagers that I just could not believe it. I was blown away um, that that even existed in real life. And so I was so, I was raised in something so foreign to that, that I think my greatest success is actually achieving it for myself. Now, aside from that, um, writing the first book, The Perfect Day Formula, like, like the fitness business I had was pretty cool. I wrote for Men's Health Magazine, which was pretty cool. I have like 20 million views of my YouTube videos from the fitness industry. I've built a nice income. Um, from those businesses, but writing the first book because I was a bookworm, even when I was, you know, six years old, I was reading Snoopy books, you know, like the Charlie Brown books. And I just love books. And so to have written my own book was a huge, huge win for me. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the people you've mentored, is there, is there anyone there or a few people that really stand out for you in terms of their successes under your under your wing? You know, financially, there's a couple of people that have made over a hundred million bucks. Great. You know, I'm, I'm not going to take credit, but you know, they were school teachers when they met me and I just showed them what was available and, um, and the opportunities and some other people we've, you know, helped them go from nothing to a million bucks. And it's great. But one of the neatest stories that I just shared recently in my own podcast was there was a, a guy that came to me who was a gym owner, and he was divorced at the time when he first came to me in 2018. And he had divorced from his wife in 2015 and they had three kids. A year and a half later, he started dating his wife again because he got his systems in place. He, he got his mind right. He just started becoming a much better father. He was, he was, he was doing a lot of work on his own, but he was also getting the business help and the, the habits and, you know, building his perfect day and living it consistently. That's something, you know, changed in the relationship and they got remarried and have had another child. And he's, you know, I, I interviewed him because all his friends call him the only guy who died and went to the other side and came back, which is, you know, he's the only guy that anybody knows who got divorced from their wife and was able to get remarried. And, and so that, that one just means so much to me because how much family means to me. So I think that was a huge one. Um, there's a lot of people who have messaged me at two in the morning from emergency rooms after hearing my anxiety story. And they were like, oh my God, I feel like there's a refrigerator on my chest. I need your help. And, you know, they, they got cleared by their doctor nothing was wrong with them. They go home, they get some coaching from me and, you know, they haven't had anxiety ever again. Like those are also some really, really great stories just by putting structure and systems into place. And then the, the last thing I'll say is going back to the perfect day formula, my first, first book, <clears throat> 
uh, the tale of two Amazon reviews. So I have one Amazon review from a woman who has one kid and she gives me a one-star review. She's married and she says, none of this stuff will work. One of my best reviews is a five-star review from a single mom of two kids who says, this book basically saved my life. And I just think that is such a great example of how important perspective is. That this, you know, this woman you know, picks up this book by a man, immediately writes off the entire book. Nothing's going to work for me. I'm a woman. I'm a mother. How dare he? And then another woman with an open mind comes in and sees, oh my gosh, systems, planning, habits, structure, accountability. This, this is brilliant. This is what I've been missing. This is what I need. This is the greatest thing ever. And I can raise two kids on my own because of this. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's what's going to happen when you help a lot of people, when you are, are exposed to a lot of people, you'll have some people who write you off and some people who just think it's the greatest thing in the world. And people will use your programs and systems and knowledge and information in ways that you can't even imagine. And so it becomes this pretty darn rewarding thing in so many ways. Mm -hmm. What's it like having stepped into this arena as an, as a person who's quite introverted? Is it, do you have to use an alter ego or have you actually um, began to develop uh, an sort of a, a bit of an extroverted personality over the years? I think there's situational extroversion that is a skill set that anybody can gain. And how important is it? I think it's very important. I think it's, I mean, it's very important, not just on the business side, totally forget the business side. Um, and just think of how much better all of your interpersonal relationships would be if you were not always stuck in your own head. Uh, because if you're stuck in your own head, you're not listening to the other person. You know, you're not, you're not giving them full attention. And if you're not giving them full attention and listening to somebody, how can you have a really great conversation with somebody? And so that alone, developing that skill, which is a skill, like listening is a skill, that alone is going to be very important. And then on the flip side is the communicating your thoughts to somebody. Because if you don't communicate your thoughts to your friends, your family, your your um, romantic partner, then they're going to have you know, this void in their mind. How are they feeling? What What's he really thinking? And they're going to make up stories and it's going to damage your relationship. So it's essential that no matter how introverted you might feel you are, how much introverted you claim to be, no matter how introverted you want to be, that you do develop these skill sets of listening and communicating verbally. And, and you may need a little bit of extra recovery. You may need uh, a little bit more time alone after these situations. And you may need better planning and preparation. I will say you definitely need better planning and preparation in advance. But all of this stuff is a learnable skill and you can overcome it because almost everything is a learnable skill. And so it's very important. It's made my life a whole lot better to, you know, from the business side to, you know, my marriage side to my, you know, being with my friends. And it, it really is essential. And especially if you want to be a role model to your children or you know to a football team or to clients or whatever if you hide behind your weaknesses it's going to be like well all right i'm going to this person for help and you know they're not getting help for their weaknesses it doesn't really make much sense to me so how, how much uh you know am i really going to give to them so just making sure that you do that for for your own good is really really important now some of the stuff like when i go on stage or you know even when i do some of the the shows 
is I think of Marlon Brando and Marlon Brando who played the Godfather was infamous for his introversion. And, you know, this is a guy who eventually got to the point where he just retired and moved to the South Pacific Sea to an island, right? You can actually go and stay in a hotel on Brandon's, Marlon Brando's island. But he was that way. And there's there's other actors who are like that. And, you know, the media always gets kind of surprised where, you know, this, this you know, celebrity is not signing autographs or something. It's because they're really all they do is go and give a performance you know they're not really like the actors or the 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 roles that they're playing they might be the shyest person in the world but they can turn it on for a role and so that's what i kind of do when i go on stage at events is um you know i'm i'm really genuinely there and excited to help people but it's not my natural tonality and energy level to go up there and you know i'm certainly no brennan burchard but you know i'm to even be a tenth of Brendan Burchard is is uh, takes a little bit more of energy and effort from me, but it was a learnable skill. I was able to do it, and so on and so forth. So it's uh, it's very important. Yeah, but the, one of the big reasons I bring it up is because earlier when you talked about having your panic attacks or anxiety, you mentioned that you weren't communicating the things that were going on in your head to people around you, to family, to friends. So where did you go with that? Because I know you made the adjustments with your morning routine. You started to get up a bit earlier. You started to apply some habits there. But where'd you go with the communication part? What things that were, that were happening within you? Well, that was the benefit of having a mentor, business partner, uh, this guy, Bedros Koulian. And so Bedros is California cool, man. You know, he'll go in the room and he'll walk up to every person and say, hey, man, how are you? And he actually claims to be introverted, but, you know, uh, and I guess that has a lot of definitions. But he'll walk into a room. You know, we'll, we would run mastermind groups of 25 or 30 entrepreneurs and he'd walk in and be like, Hey, Joe, how you doing? Where are you from? And I would just, I would just walk in and go to my seat. And eventually I realized uh, quickly, I realized like, I can't, I can't do this, but oh man, that's, that's not me normally me to do that. But you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start modeling his behavior. And so even when I was trying to become a better speaker, I would watch pastors and I would watch comedians because you know, those are two extremes, but they're both people that are able to hold the attention of large groups of people. What do they do to do that? Huh? Well, they come in and they tell stories. Okay. I can learn to tell stories better. They look at the audience and just kind of hold the gaze there. Okay. I can learn to do that. And, you know, so any behavior, any, any activity, any skill, it's everything's learnable and you need to go and find a model for what you want to do. So, you know, I would, um, I would choose a particular person. Like, you know, every, every comedian has their own style. And so you would look and go, okay, that guy's style in the, in the tonality and the pace at which he speaks seems similar to what I would be able to deliver. So I'm going to kind of model that and, and away you go. So those were the things that, that helped me on the social side of things. Yeah. Nice strategy. I like that. Yeah. How has your life changed since your your wife has come into the into the picture? Um, m- many more boundaries and uh, more time walking and talking. That's for sure. Um, more adventures. You know, I was a fairly adventurous person before, but even more adventurous. And then, obviously, um, with the wife, brought the the daughter, the first daughter, and then we have a second daughter on the way. So that's obviously a big change too. And it's just. Um, you know, my days 
look like this. I get up anywhere from 3.30 to 4.15. I don't use an alarm clock. I just get up. And whenever I get up, I get up. And then I work until 6, sometimes 6.30, whenever the baby gets up. And when the baby gets up, my wife gets up. And then the next hour and a half, sometimes two hours uh, until about 8 is when we just spend all the time together. So, you know, we give the baby breakfast, we play in the play area, we go for a walk with our dog that takes about 45 minutes. And we do that every day. And then from, you know, then our nanny shows up. So we're fortunate to have a nanny and nanny shows up. And then from eight to 11, I work 11 to 12, I go to the gym. And then in the afternoon, I do stuff like this, like our, our show here. Or I'll like tomorrow I have a two hour filming block where I'm going to film YouTube videos and Instagram videos and maybe some Facebook ads and a bunch of uh, other courses. And that's pretty much it. And then from at four o'clock, that's the hard boundary there from four until seven, it's baby time again and, you know, bath time and put her to bed. And then after the baby goes to bed, we're not up too much longer and we, and we fall asleep. And that's having those blocks in the morning and the evening for family is probably the biggest difference because otherwise, you know, back in the day, I would either just work or read. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't do too much unless I was, my adventures came through traveling, but having those blocks of family time where I was devoted to other people and unselfish with my time is probably the biggest change. Mm -hmm. And is there anything you would change over the course of your life? Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. So like people like to ask the, um, you know, if you could go back in time and tell your 18-year-old self or 21-year-old self and give them advice, what would you do? And I would say that, first of all, I would tell myself to stop drinking. Never drink. Just don't – definitely don't binge drink. Um, stop drinking so much. And if possible, just completely stop drinking because I don't drink now at all. And there's just – you know, there was so much money, time, effort, hours wasted that I could have put into so much more valuable stuff. So that's the first thing I would tell myself. The second thing I would tell myself is get a job in face-to-face -face sales, face-to-face, nose-to-nose, toes-to-toes selling. Sell something. Learn how to sell to people Become and learn how to become indifferent to rejection. If you can become indifferent to rejection, and what that means is, is that when somebody says no, your feelings aren't hurt. So you you then... You know, you don't go through college not asking a girl out because you're so scared of rejection, right? If you're indifferent to rejection, you'll go and ask. And the same with business in the future. And it's the same with many, many things. Like learn to become indifferent to rejection. And then, um, you know, I would take up jujitsu a lot earlier <laughs> than than I did because I think it is very valuable technique and sport and culture. And uh, I really hope that my daughters are into it. Sweet, man. Well, Craig, I've absolutely loved this conversation with you. Thank you for your insights, your information, your energy, and all the good work you do, man. And I, I do keep a, a very close eye on you on your Instagram. So thanks for that, too. And yeah, um, I appreciate for, it. Yeah. And for anyone who wants to reach out to you, check out some of your work and some of the good good stuff you do. Where can they find you? Where's the best place to get you at? Yeah. Instagram, real Craig Ballantyne. Honestly, I I actually am one of those people who likes email. So if you want to email me at Craig at Craig Valentine, 
I'd probably get back. Um, there's no reason why I wouldn't get back to you. Uh, I'd love it if people grab a copy of my books at craigvalentine.com forward slash free books. You can download the eBooks and audio books there for free, no opt-in required, or you can buy them on Amazon or at perfectweekformula.com. So really, uh, and I really appreciate the conversation. This is a lot of fun. Probably talked about some stuff I've never talked about and I've done 700 podcasts. So this was uh, really, really great. Dr. Nice Gavin, one. you asked some good questions. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Till next time. Cheers, Greg. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.